Thank you for joining us for this episode of Journey Now, produced by Journey Church in Brentwood, Tennessee. For more information on Journey Church and our gatherings, visit journeytn.com. Welcome, everybody, to the Journey Now Wednesday Roundtable podcast. I'm your host, Grant Opperman, and I'm excited to hang, hang out with you all again for a few minutes today. I'm joined by three of Journey's pastors today. I have Kevin Dixon. Hey. Who is a man of few words. I'm also joined by Susie Lind. Hi. <laughs> and through the, through the magic of remote telephonic conferencing, we're also joined by Michael Erie. Well, hello. And his nose. Oh, we weren't going to talk about this. This is just audio. Yeah, just be glad it's a podcast and not an audio cast. Let's just say that. So more on that later. Just come on Sunday. There's your enticement. There you yeah. So today, the theolo- theologian uh, Belinda Carlisle taught us that heaven is a place on earth. <laughs> and our current teaching series, What Remains?, has followed up on that idea in much greater depth. Inspired by Belinda. <laughs> yes, inspired by Belinda, Pastor Belinda Carlisle. And uh, the idea that heaven and earth were created together and then separated in Genesis and the story of everything from there to Revelation is about how heaven and earth are reunited. Mm-hmm. So we get some questions uh, as part of every series, and particularly this one from the Journey text line. And someone texted in, thanks for the message today. I'm curious if Journey believes in a literal hell or not. So we want to talk about what is hell and how does it fit in with that picture of heaven and earth? Is it a physical location? Is it that lake of fire where the damned are tortured for eternity? And I want to start with how the notion of hell comes into the Bible and Christianity in the first place. There are a lot of religions that have a hell-like place that's either hot or cold or dark or punishing in some way. So how much of hell comes from the Old Testament or the New Testament, and how much of it is coming from all this cultural melting pot that we all share? Who who wants to talk? I'll talk a little, and then I'll throw it to Mike, and then Susie, and we'll go from there. (laughs) This is Kevin, by the way. Um, First, this is I just want to put a preface on the front end of this conversation is, um, I don't think anybody has a definitive answer on on how this shakes out. So... Some people think they do. That's different. (laughs) Um, When... When you start to go down the path of what eternity looks like, whether you're talking about heaven or hell, you are in the realm of speculation. Mm-hmm. And the scriptures give us clues and they give us ideas, um, but a lot of that is wrapped up in imagery throughout the Bible and metaphor. And, um, and what you find yourself doing oftentimes is trying to make sense of something that isn't central. Um, and so I just wanted to say that up front. And, and what we're going to talk about uh, around this topic, I think, leaves us... Um, we're going to tell you what we believe. We're going to tell you what we think. 
But the reality is we could be wrong. Yeah. And Mike, before we started rolling here, you were talking about, you said, what would your answer be if someone asked you, is there a literal hell? Yeah. And, and my answer would be, well, I believe in a literary hell in the sense of, and that's not just dancing around the, the question, in the sense that hell doesn't come across in the scriptures as a definition, textbook, clearly described place. Um, it's described both as a power and as a place, but it's almost exclusively described using metaphors. So I take it, I take it seriously, but I take it, I take it metaphorically um, as it points to some reality that's beyond words. So when you say that you take it seriously, can you talk more about what that means? Absolutely. Well, Jesus, Jesus obviously is warning against something, right? He's not, he's not, he's, he's, and, and, and he's mentioning outer darkness weeping of gnashing of teeth. And he's doing that more than anybody else in the New Testament does. The Old Testament barely talks about the idea. There's just the realm of the dead. We have one, maybe two passages that talk about future judgment. In the New Testament, you have Jesus talking about this as outcomes of way of life. Absolutely. And then Paul obviously references it um, in several places. So there is no question that it, that it's a reality it's a reality that's both now and not yet. It's a reality that Jesus expects, and he's talking mo- he's talking almost exclusively to religious people when he's using the imagery. So he's never using it to threaten to believe. Paul doesn't either, but he's using it as the good news of future judgment. There is and has to be for heaven and earth to be reunited. There has to be a judgment that comes upon the earth and what we've done to the place, and the remainder of the things that don't align with the ki- the coming of the kingdom. That remainder goes to this place called hell, but hell's not an English word. It's not even a Greek word. It's an Aramaic word that was translated and transliterated into Greek that just refers to a valley outside of Jerusalem that was known for child sacrifice. And so, uh, so something real does happen. Yes, Jesus is absolutely warning us about something. That's about as far as we can go. Well, <laughs> yeah, to take the Bible seriously. Yeah, and and the imagery is usually wrapped up in a parable, which is also a story, a made-up story that's by design to get to make a point. Um, right. Usually dealing with religious leaders of the day or Israel, and then when you get to Revelation, it is a it is a ap- apocal apocalyptic literature, which is by design meant to be exaggerated and um, make a point in cryptic ways. And so you find yourself trying to piece together something that is there and present in scripture, but yet unclear because it's not, it's not set aside like um, in a way where you would go, oh, I fully grasped this. What it, what, what's implied in it is that it is away from God, mm-hmm. and that and that a good place to be is close to God. Mm-hmm. So there is this. <laughs> That's a good general rule. Well, yeah. and it's consistent well, with how God is and the way that He talks about Himself as desiring relationship and nearness and closeness and intimacy with right. His children. Right. And if and the other part of this that makes um, that. I think brings out this conversation a lot is is that we 
we were created as eternal beings. We weren't, we weren't created as temporary beings. We weren't created to expire. Um, in the garden, it was supposed to be forever. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to be this ongoing, enduring um, love relationship between God and his creation. And the reconciliation part that we keep talking about is, is that um, there's a restoration of that relationship that will endure forever. So if there isn't a relationship between a person and God, the question is then what do they do for forever? Mm-hmm. And that's where this idea, that's where people go, well, they must go... To, to the lake of fire. Or, yeah, <laughs> or, or a very cold place. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Right. That's that's the point. Is mm-hmm. if by literal hell you mean a lake of fire, no, because that's a metaphor. Mm-hmm. By, yeah. literal, by literal hell, do you mean Dante's Inferno? No, <laughs> that's made up. But that's, that's what a lot of people. That's the image that a lot of people have got gained about what it is. So, Mike, go back tradition. to go back to some of the because I've heard so many times in my life. Well, you know, Jesus talks about hell three times more than he talks about heaven. So you better pay attention. Well, he talks and, about Ben Gehenna. Gen, yeah. yeah. But, but Kevin was saying that a lot of that teaching is not literally meant to be about hell. And this is where so many of our images come from. So we talked before we started today about, uh, about the rich man and Lazarus. Right. And that that's commonly read as a story about, salvation and judgment and you are making the point that a lot of these metaphors are being used to talk about other things that it's not really a story about hell (laughs) it's so true and and i had to learn this the hard way right because my tradition and my training comes at passages like the parables thinking what does this teach me about me and my future salvation and it hasn't until it hasn't been until the last 20 years when I've realized, no, 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 Jesus is talking to Jews about Israel and about the coming judgment of Israel. And so where where we use parables to derive theology, and if you would think that somehow there's that that the parable of the rich man and Lazarus is about how it's not about that at all. It's about the eschatological reversal that Jesus promises in the Beatitudes that's coming upon all Israel in the form of judgment. And so, so while Jesus does, and Paul does this enough so that we know it's not just to a Jewish audience that he's referring, there is a reference to some reality. We just don't have, uh, we, have far, we have far less to work with than we think we do. So I'm always real careful if somebody says, do you believe in hell, to make sure what kind of hell they're talking about before I affirm that question. Yeah, that's the that's, that's the necessary mm-hmm. step because it's been so misconstrued as to what it it is and what um, what actually they have in their minds, and so that that needs clarity. The other part of it that I think needs clarity is is um, people often uh, will will um, have conversation around this idea of what is annihilationism, the idea that. Oh, you only you only suffer for a little while, and then your soul is is destroyed. Um, that's the basic idea behind annihilationism. So if you're so there's no sense of eternity. Then it's just a you cease to exist. You cease to exist. You you as it is as if as though you never were. 
I, yeah, I, I don't know where they get that scripturally, to be honest with you, Mike. I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you do, um, Grant, Susie. I don't know. But I, I've not ever been able to decipher where they find that in the Bible. So, well, go ahead. Go ahead, Mike. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, um, so you take passages like John 3, 16, mm-hmm. um, whoever believes in him shall not perish. Mm-hmm. And the word for perish there uh, is a, destro- a destruction word. Mm-hmm. You get that in a ton of Psalms. Yeah. Um, the, the word for everlasting, of course, in Matthew 25, doesn't necessarily mean infinitely mm-hmm. in time. It can also just mean of the age. Um, and, uh, and, and you get the idea that in, in Genesis, uh, one and two, we, we were not eternal by nature. We were eternal by gift, meaning that we had to eat of the tree of the, of life in order to stay eternal. And when, when God banished us from the garden, he removed that and that his judgment which is consistent with his judgment other places is he just removes the gift or he, 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 he does not give the gift of life. He just allows humanity to take its natural fallen end, which is namely to cease existing. Okay. So would that be the second death then he talks about? Well, that's a, in, in revelation. It's interesting because the second death is a reference back to Sodom and Gomorrah. Because of the smoking and sulfur. And and so not only does Sodom and Gomorrah get judged in that generation, but then there's this ongoing sense of judgment over Sodom and Gomorrah as a stench uh, to the nostrils of the Lord and to Israel. So even that's a little tricky, in my view, just because of what you said about Revelation, mm-hmm. that very often Revelation's images um, come to us in an apocalyptic matter and mean, therefore, mm-hmm. They would have made sense to the original audience, but we've got to work hard at trying to understand what they mean. They don't just come to us flatly um, as if we can just transpose them, you know, from their culture to ours. So the right answer on this is there is no, and we we don't know. You said it, Wait, Mike. Wait, you're looking for a right it's, answer? It's not, <laughs> it's not given to us to know, but just mm-hmm. sort of allowing that for the moment, you were talking uh, earlier Susie, about these three commonly held views of of what hell is or et- eternal I judgment think the conversation has eternal gotten a lot separation. of traction. The conversation, Etern- yep. Sorry, it's gotten a lot of traction in the global church, and there are some well known um, teachers and pastors who have made public what their opinions are and what their views are, and so. You know, people will come and look for a church and ask the question, what's your view of hell? Because, you know, for some, they don't believe in it anymore and they don't want to go to a church that does. Or the opposite, if you don't believe in a literal hell, then you're probably not teaching the Bible. So it's just, it's an interesting thing to talk about because there are three primary views of hell. And it's interesting. I think it's important for people not to just ask the question of a church, what do you believe, but to know what the three views are and where they're found or not found or whatever the scriptural, like Mike just described, the annihilation view, what scriptures are generally used to support that view. And then people should study that for themselves and seek God for for that because, like Mike said, there's not a clear um, 
you know, set of information that. So the, 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 the three views you're talking about, we talked about annihilationism, mm-hmm. um, and we've talked about the other, what do you call it? Eternal separation. Mm-hmm. Um, and the third view being universal reconciliation. Yeah. And I think eternal separation is often called eternal torment, right? And that's the... Eternal that's conscious yeah. Eternal conscious torment. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. the where a lot of the Dante's Inferno imagery comes in. That <laughs> mm-hmm. you are actively tortured and aware of that torture mm-hmm. forever. Yeah. Right. Right. Can someone explain to me a little bit more about the idea of, of universal reconciliation, which is, I think, Mike, a more modern uh, notion sort of coming out of, what, 18th, 18th 19th century well, thinking? There's some early church writers. Are there? Yeah. But, but it, so, so it, universalism can claim a long trajectory in church history, but it's certainly become more popular. So to that, you're you're utterly correct. Um, the idea is there are passages, and Grant was reading them off air, where Jesus will say things like, "At the renewal of all things, at the reconciliation of all things, when all at the at the uh, uh, let's see, restoration, renewal." And there's a third one that Peter uses in the Book of Acts, but but there's this all things language that drips all over the place uh, in the epistles. Um, and, uh, and the idea is, okay, so, and then there are two kinds of universalists. There are some that believe that there has to be repentance and almost a purging before of the entrance into the heavens. And so we get, you know, the ideas of purgatory and other, other things. And then there's the, no, the grace of God really is big enough. And why the, the gift of salvation for you, for those who believe now, you get to taste it now. That's the gift. But everyone eventually ends up there. So everyone so, basically gets a second chance. Yeah, well, universalists would mm-hmm. say they get they keep getting chances till they say yes. Mm. Um, so it's not just a second a second chance. Now, somebody like Rob Bell, um, I don't know if his view has evolved, would say, no, no, you you do get post mortem opportunities, and there will be people who say no. So hell has to exist for those people, those people who get what they want and they don't want God. There's room for them. But that's not God's choosing. That's their choice. Um, others say uh, there's a passage in Hebrews that talks about, no, no, you die once and face judgment. And the idea is you don't get multiple chances. So, uh, again, there is a there's a rich variety. And there are other people like the Orthodox. I mean, their view of hell is fasting. The, their view of hell is... Um, God is a consuming fire, and when you're in his presence and you welcome him, that is heaven. And when you're in his presence and you do not welcome him, that is hell. And so it's almost that the glory of God does fill every nook and cranny, and everybody does bow. But, um, but, but it's hell for some and heaven for others. And again, the, the big point is there's some stuff to chew on that's enough to take us to, to make us take all of this seriously. Whatever hell is, is a power we do not want to align with. And it is a place in a reality we do not want to experience. But as we've been trying to say over and over again, the, the counterpart to heaven is earth in the biblical story. And for evangelicals, we've spent far more time emphasizing hell than the Bible ever did. 
So in the end, I mean, one of the things that I found fascinating is you can you can find verses. Maybe we'll put some of them in the show notes. That would be good. To support the idea of eternal separation, to support annihilationism, to support universal reconciliation. So whatever your view is, you've got something to say you're right, and there's a lot of other people who have something to say you're wrong. Mm -hmm. And where, (laughs) where I think we're ending up on this conversation is... I think we've oversimplified it a little bit. It's a it's a serious thing, as Mike said, but yeah, maybe it's the wrong question to be focusing on hell. It it it. I believe it is. It's it's not even. Um, yeah, I I don't put it in the top ten. Let's put it there. You know, in in theological um, understanding. I think I think how you view salvation matters. How you view grace matters. How you view election and predestination matters. How you how you envision and how you see human will and and choice and responsibility up against God's will. God and all of that comes into play because you can't simply have this conversation around actual places or not places without fully understanding how Jesus plays a role in this. How God the how the the Trinity plays a role in this and 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 be under no illusion that uh, one of the great one of the great misgivings of cartoons when I was growing up that that hell was a place where the devil was in charge the guy yeah. in the red the red suit with the horns yeah. and right yeah. yeah and and hell is not a place where the devil's in charge hell is a if if it it's if anything, he's a resident. I mean, he just resides there. Um, so there's there's not a something there's there's we've if you want to boil down the conversation into something that's binary, which I don't, which we're used to, right? That's what we're used to doing. It it, <laughs> it takes it takes so much of the understanding of who God is out of the equation, and. And also who the humans are, so I think that's what makes this conversation so much more nuanced and difficult, because we want it to be binary. I don't think it is. As is nothing, and and <laughs> and, and, and and maybe even maybe even not exclusive. I mean, mm-hmm. one of my favorite when I was in college, I read a short story mm-hmm. by uh, Jorge Luis Borges mm-hmm. called "The Garden of the Forking Paths." Mm-hmm. in which this guy goes through a life where at every instant of his life, he makes all possible choices. Mm-hmm. So he starts at birth, and then he goes out into an infinite number of lifetimes in which, you know, in one he's a criminal, in one he's a policeman, in one he's That sounds like hell whatever, by right? itself. But the interesting thing is they all end up converging back to the same place, Right. And so a lot of these things that we love theologically to mm-hmm. argue about right. or to be really sure about our beliefs and our perspective, right. at the end of the day, it's the garden of the forking paths that, that comes back together. Well, we try to parse it out. We try to... We, right. And we try to make a system out of it. If, if this is true, then this is true, and then this is true. And, and, and therefore, then I get to a place where I go, well, this is inconsistent what I believe to be about God's election. So this can't be true. 
but it seems to be true. And so, or this isn't true based upon what I understand uh, human responsibility or moral agency or responsibility is. So that can't be true. So we end up with competing truths. Right. And so we have to make them fit. But the problem is trying to mansplain the Bible. Right. (laughs) And we call that systematic theology. (laughs) It's a course in seminary, right? It's a book (laughs) you have to read. Yes. And it is a course in seminary. And and it, and the and the tragedy, in my opinion, of systematic theology is, it gives you a grid by which you approach the Bible, a man-made grid that says this has to fit in here. So how do I make it fit into my grid, rather than allowing the Bible to speak to us as it was intended? Right, anyway, right I'm, now I'm preaching. Sorry, Mike. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I love it. I I hope that <laughs> I hope that we, if we haven't answered the question that was texted in. I think we have yeah. in many ways, but we've given people a lot to think about, <laughs> yeah. which is the purpose of this. And, you know, keep sending us your questions on teaching, on theology, on anything. The text number is uh, 615-861-9503. Kevin has his finger up. One last statement I'd like to make about this. Uh-oh. What you believe about heaven and hell doesn't change anything about the way we view Jesus. And so how we engage Jesus and how we engage the gospel, grace, all those things are not defined by how we see the afterlife. It's fantastic. I just want to make sure everybody understands that. It's not an essential to agree on this. That's good. It's helpful. Well, thanks to all of you. Thanks to Kevin, Susie, and Mike for joining me today. And as always, thanks to everybody who's listening to us. We appreciate you. We value you. We hope you'll be back again tomorrow for Theology Thursday, Susie's Formation Fridays, and then next week with Mike Erie Mondays and Tim Timmons' 10,000-minute Tuesdays. And if you like what we're doing, do us a favor. Screenshot this episode. Share it to your Instagram stories so we can see who's following along. Text us your questions and comments. Number again, 615-861-9503. It'll be in the show notes if you need to look that up. And of course, tag us, share your episodes, and subscribe to Journey Now on your listening track platform of choice. We'll see you again here next Wednesday on another Roundtable edition. Until then, bye for now. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the Journey Now podcast, please take a moment to leave a rating or review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.